One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives. 35 days to save democracy is what they're saying about the next election. And it's what we have. 35 days to catch up with Rachel Bittercoffer in the second half hour of the show about which of these very important districts are the ones to watch. How close is the race? And I hate to tell you this. The news is not so good for Democrats. And we'll tell you why in about 30 minutes. We also have a lot of news today. One is the Oath Keepers trial that continues today. Really stunning evidence on day two of this trial, which includes Stuart Rhodes. Day two of the Oath Keepers trial. And yesterday was for opening statements. And today we got into a lot of the digital messaging that went all the way back to a couple days after the election. Stuart Rhodes sent some texts featuring advice from Aleksandar Savic about how Serbians worked to overturn the election results in the 1990s. Remember, Stuart Rhodes worked for Ron Paul or Rand Paul? Ron. It doesn't matter. Ron. You're, you're in Moscow, St. Petersburg territory right there. Yeah. He's quoting from the wisdom of Serbian election overthrowers. I don't know. It's just got a Russian-y feel to it. And these text messages, they're really going through just how much they were pushing the limits of non-firearm weaponry. So mace and clubs and lead pipes and this and that, because they intended to do violence and they were planning on being there for a while. And remember they stockpiled weaponry outside of DC and they were planning the QRF, the quick reaction force was going to bring them actual firearms. They had testimony from an FBI special agent who looked into some of the communications and said those very FBI things, such as in my training experience, this is associated with military type <laughs> activity, not tourism, not political speech, but military. I should point out as well, Roger Stone made an appearance in today's yes. testimony. What they really are trying to do is to link all of these insurrectionists to Donald Trump. And the way to do that is through all his intermediaries. And I guess in the questioning today, Roger Stone came up in this mm -hmm. message. This is Stuart Rhodes talking. The final defense is us and our rifles, Rhodes wrote on November 7th, according to the records. The election was on the November 3rd, 2020. This is, I think, by the 6th, they had declared Biden the winner officially in all the various states. So this is like the next day. The final defense is us and our rifles. Trump has a duty to stand, but so far he hasn't. As Roger Stone said, Trump has one last chance right now to stand, but he will need us and our rifles too. But will he finally act? Only if we act and call on him to lead us. 
The rifles part sounds resonant, a threatening overtone. Remember that video of Roger Stone that's been circulated been talking about let's get the violence underway. There's a growing mountain of evidence here that Roger Stone had a lot to do, not only January 6th, but the planning and lead up to January 6th. And maybe even the establishment of some of these groups like the Proud Boys. The trial strategy of the defense team is apparently it wasn't that big a deal. And I don't think that's a very compelling argument. Literally, it was only locker room seditious conspiracy. Best of luck with that, guys. In another news, Vladimir Putin has been making all these threats about going and nuclear. This submarine has disappeared where it's normally based. And they suspect it could be out for a test of some sort. This thing could actually be fired hundreds of miles away and hit coastlines, unleashing the tsunami on the city. So it seems to you that it's going to be 2827 before this weapon becomes available to it. That is what the Congressional Research Service has, has concluded based on open source intelligence it's been able to gather. The top secret version of that would be at the Defense Intelligence Agency. And we don't traffic in classified documents around here. So we don't end up like Trump and all his 45,000 attorneys. <laughs> Where it shows up for tests, nobody knows. And of course, it would fire these missiles hundreds of miles away to fire anything anywhere as a test. There is speculation that it might be fired into the Black Sea as one possibility. Could be fired into Ukraine as possibility. Now, is it going to be nuclear? He certainly has been making threats about using strategic nuclear missiles or nuclear warheads. Can he place that onto these submarines? Some people say yes. He probably can place these smaller strategic nuclear missiles onto the submarines going over a short distance. So I'm raising this because I think there's a tendency, especially in Twitter, to suggest that you should just ignore all of this, that all of this is just a lot of noise by the Russians that are just trying to intimidate everybody. And potentially and likely it is that. But I don't think we should ignore it completely. I'm not saying he's going to blow up a nuclear missile. I'm saying that he might do a test of the submarine requirements of the, as a warning shot against the West. He is a cornered animal. And he's in a desperate position and he's having to call up uh, retirees and house pets and uh, release zoo animals, anybody he can get on the front lines. He, remember, the audience for this is not just the foreign governments, but also domestic audiences at home who, of course, respond well to Ru Russia making very strong moves in the international community and shaking its fist. And, you know, that might be something that he's incentivized to do so that the people continue to believe in him and support him so he doesn't face being deposed. If pushed too hard, they could, they might do something desperate. But in that case, I'm fairly certain that the Pentagon and its partners have operational plans in place for if there's such a drastic, they would fire a bunch of missiles at the West and hope to survive. They know they won't. Nevertheless, some sort of signal that he might be willing to fire a, a missile, even nuclear one, or the submarine might be a little bit of a warning shot to the West. What does it mean? Probably nothing. Probably there's no escalation. If you look at the North Korean missiles that are going up on the other side of the Russian land mass, and you can see that there's certainly an amping up of, of noise, let's call it, around nukes uh, on both sides of Russia. Of course, America's capabilities here are enormous, and those are the ones that we know of, with some indication that there are capabilities that we don't know of that are pretty impressive, that could stop these there's no reason to be scared of it. There's certainly no reason to ignore that he's making these threats. They're losing territory. Their conventional military is not able to achieve basic goals. Remember, they thought they'd be in Kiev in three days. Yeah. 
They were not. Russian military modernizing its forces only to be expected. New technologies that you design, you're going to test them out as the weapon system comes online. And to keep competitive with other, other militaries around the world, you have to keep doing that. But as far as who makes the decision here, you've got Sergei Shoigu, the head of the Russian armed forces. Remember, no, there is no such thing as button to press. And a president may give an order for the deployment of nuclear missiles, but they're tricky. There's people who have that job and nothing else, and you have to convince them to carry out whatever the, the plan is and to deploy these things. I wonder how much Sergei Shoigu is really excited about being incinerated, right. which he would know is what would happen. And he's also going to keep military to military contact. I'm not sure what the state of our mill contact is right now with Moscow. Maybe there have been periods where we all lose touch with what's going on at the Kremlin, right? Yeah. If you look at the, if you look at the, the Cuban missile crisis, for example, it got very complicated because we got two sets of messages from the Kremlin. We couldn't tell who, who was sending them. There was like a soft line and a hard line on what to do. And one was amenable to us taking missiles out of Turkey and the other group didn't care. And diplomatically, we chose to respond to the message that we liked better. We eventually agreed to take our, I think, medium range strategic nuclear missiles out of Turkey, and they took theirs out of Cuba. The Cuban missile crisis might be a very similar storyline that we might be seeing here. In this ramping up of this nuclear threat, could we be landing up in a situation where we will have some standoff that will ultimately have to be negotiated between the United States and Russia, and one which will have to be a new back off 100 miles of my territory, out back off 100 miles of your territory. That could be where Putin is trying to place this. I don't think he's deploying a submarine or testing a submarine like this just for fun. He's probably doing it because he's trying to send a signal of some sort. Now, that signal does not mean he's going to send a nuclear missile our way. But it could be Harry that start having this dance with the West and the way to end the war. Right. You're unable to dribble the basketball, but you're really working on your three point shots. Yeah. If I'm going to use a basketball metaphor, I saw a video and you can't tell without authentication if this was some morale booster. It looked fairly real, but they were talking about the new recruits having to bring their own bandages. And they recommended that they go to the convenience store and just buy a bunch of tampons. That's too good to be true. Almost. I did see a video on it, but go, it highlights the, the patheticness of the complete loss of, of military discipline. I agree. I think he's in a terrible situation on the ground. It's just his options are to escalate this somehow. So it gets the United States engaged in a talk. He's going to want to be able to go to the negotiating table. Uh, and I suspect that what he's going to go with is about nukes. Uh, you can destroy us, we can destroy you, but we can both destroy each other. Let's uh, have a dance here. But what he's really getting in is Finland and Sweden in NATO. All this has done is burn through the goodwill of the Russian people, an unfortunate mountain of skulls of dead Russian soldiers and just serve to solidify the NATO alliance the way nothing else has ever done. Let's quickly touch on the biggest social media story of the day, which is that, guess what? Elon Musk is going to actually buy Twitter as of potentially this Friday. We have long argued that that's a terrible idea. By all appearances, Musk seems to be working at the behest of Beijing. He's certainly got a lot of resources, factories there in his market share. Certainly in China, it's very important to him. He does not seem to me like an independent uh, broker as he pretends to be, nor the mogul that he pretends to be. But on the other hand, 
he seems to have bought Twitter. That seems to be something he did despite an attempt by the board to goad him into not acquiring it and paying a billion dollars. This is a bit of a punishment for it. He said, I, instead of paying a billion dollars, I'll buy Twitter. I'll see if I can make it better. Whatever that means. Brilliant land. And, and it's going to happen as of this Friday. Not that I love everything about Twitter. There's a lot to do with Twitter that you can improve. But on the other hand, Musk is a terrible idea. I say, let us see what the future holds and keep a lookout for any big staff changes in Twitter itself. Remember, they did have a light espionage problem that one of the whistleblowers talked about. We know that more for certain through the Saudi agents that they actually prosecuted. Assume that there's, look, this is a, this is an important service. This is the, this is a service that, that influences newsmakers and the editors and publishers and all, and all that. Facebook has a broader audience. This is a more specific one. And all these countries would love to have some sort of influence over that. We know they do it with botnets from outside. It stands to reason there'd be a few insiders there too. So it'll be interesting to see if anybody leaves Twitter for other more interesting job opportunities. So I should point out as well, Twitter gets a lot of revenue out of China. Chinese companies buy advertising in Twitter. And so it's got this lot of Chinese money in there. That also needs to be taken care of. They also have some Chinese spies there as well. So they do have some issues and maybe our man, Elon Musk, find a way. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> Where are you? Just hanging out? Uh, I am doing everything I do between 2.30 and 5 o'clock. My time, West Coast American time, is under duress because I am a full-time mom too. So I have an autistic kid and I'm at the park. You know, we're 30-ish days out from election day. And we're in a far stronger position for Democrats than what anybody, any analyst, myself included, would have anticipated or what we would be seeing, frankly, if it had not been for the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. That was such a reset moment in terms of the political atmosphere because of this reason. The midterm effect, which is the tendency for the president's party to lose seats in the midterm election, is powered by two things, the movement of the pure conversion or the swing voters away from the president's party, but also a depressed enthusiasm from the side that's in power, because what really motivates people to the polls in America anyway, is not so much things getting done for them. It's fear and threat and things getting done to them by the opposition party. So what that allowed Democrats to do was to develop a natural negative partisanship reaction that a big chunk of the coalition felt triggered, threatened, literally, by Rose reversal. And that allowed the enthusiasm gap to basically, we have two waves now, enthusiasm waves crashing into each other, and they're of relatively the same ferocity or size. And when we're looking at the conversion pool, it created news cycle after news cycle. This combined with January 6th and other things, Trump's multiple investigations ongoing have kept the news cycle really focused on the Republican Party. And every day that the news cycle is about Republicans and their crazy stuff or their crazy cult leader, it is a good day for Democrats. That is the only way to blunt the midterm effect because most Americans don't read politics. They don't pay attention to news. They only get the surface level conversation. And if that surface level conversation is dominated by sausage making and in-party mechanics that are generally what Washington likes to focus on and not focused on the opposition party, then you see a midterm effect. So I think we're really seeing a massive change that Zavid, they say a broken clock is right twice. 
Well, you were very optimistic about a year out from election day. And <laughs> I was here to tell you, no, this is going to be a very structurally trying cycle for Democrats. But it turns out that you were, you must have just had this feeling that Republicans were going to eviscerate women's rights to live. That's so good for you for catching that wave before it that, even materialized. Uh, that's very nice of you to say, Rachel. I actually don't know if I still, it's not that I don't believe that the wave is going to be there. I think the wave is going to be there. I think there's an enormous amount of enthusiasm for Democrats. But I should also say that in the last couple of weeks, that enthusiasm around the abortion, we showed an enthusiasm around the Democrats and particularly Biden, has waned a little bit. You're seeing that in the Gallup poll and his job approval rates gone back down to 38 or so, which is what he did before that big speech that he did a few weeks ago and the anti-inflation bill. So maybe voters have moderated their enthusiasm there, maybe not. But, you know, I've seen this movement before and it worries me that six weeks before the next or the five weeks before the next year, people get so sure that they're going to win that they don't show up at the polls. And that worries me. Uh, I, think I don't think there's any Democrats that feel like they're going to, to win. Democratic campaigns and fundraisers have to maintain a positive atmosphere at all times, or campaigns in general do that. But at the end of the day, the analytics don't lie. What they tell us, though, is a really stunning story. What we should be talking about today, October 4th or whatever day it is, we should be talking about how the Republicans' forecast has been upgraded from 25 seats to 40 seats, okay? Because that's really... What would have happened without the row evisceration? Well, the fact that we instead saw their advantage on the 538 model is increasingly narrow, not widened. That's the exact opposite pattern of what we saw in 2010, 2014, and 2018, and what we expected to see. And for all the strategic changes that Democrats have made to help structure this messaging on Republican extremism, Really, what's doing the heavy lift of giving us a competitive chance to compete for the House and the Senate and to hold on to the big three governorships is that row evisceration. If you take that away, all of the change that's been happening in the election cycle would be absolutely useless because most people don't follow attention to politics at all. And a lot of the narrowing that you see now is a product of the post-Labor Day activation of regular human beings. Regular human beings, believe it or not, do not think about congressional midterms. <laughs> even the even a big chunk of the ones that will actually vote in them, who are still special people compared to other citizens, a big chunk of the midterm electorate only pays attention to the last few weeks. It's probably a little earlier than it used to be and more intense through the September, October period because of early vote now. And that has changed the behavior of campaigns to increase activity in, in the summer and the fall. But generally speaking, what we're seeing now is just latent partisanship in the independent pool sorting itself out and people tuning in and signing up for their tribal teams. This was always going to be a tough cycle for Democrats, but the long and the hoe of it is they are in a far better position than they could have ever dreamed to be, and they have a chance to save democracy. That's a major achievement. In the House, what is your prognosis on the House? Who's going to win and by how much? I don't use any polling. I never look at polling, like all this horse race shit that you guys are talking about. I don't, it doesn't worry about me. I like aggregate polling. So like the 538 generic ballot aggregator matters to me. I want to see what is the collective story of all the survey data saying about the preference between Republicans and Democrats on control of Congress. But generally speaking, I'm not looking at a lot of poll, like for the horse race data that's in them. That generic ballot is pretty clear right now. What it tells us is that the Senate is in a far better position for Democrats than the House is. 
Something I've heard from insiders is that one of the one of the the hidden number that the average person is not getting is the number of new registered voters that, and they are overwhelmingly women. That, not surprising, are like, oh, well, I'm voting. This is some. I'm not. I am not standing for this. This is uh, this is life or death. So we like it. We've got a, a few hard data points and. When I say hard data, I'm not talking about surveys. Okay, I'm not, those are statistical machines that, that <laughs> they have error and other issues. But what is hard data is election outcomes and registration data. And what we've seen in that data is suggestive that we could see a different correlation of voters show up at the polls, much more looking like 2018 than what we would expect in 2022. And that's why it's really been imperative to get as many campaigns, especially of the marquee races as possible, focusing in on this issue and galvanizing people to the polls, especially women and new voters. So it really is hard to anticipate, Eric, but is a key data point that I'm tracking. The registration deadlines are going to start to close as we roll through October. We'll have a really good sense of what that hard data is suggesting. That said, you get a ballot initiative like Kansas, where we know it passed in the 60s. So you and in a state like Kansas, that means you got about 20 percent of the Republican vote voting for this initiative to keep abortion legal in Kansas. That is not necessarily going to translate in like if we had general election ballot with that Kansas initiative, unless the messaging was tying a vote on this initiative to also not supporting Republicans electorally, you would not you would have seen the initiative pass at 60 something and then Republicans still win most of the if not all of the competitive races. So it really does come down to strategy. Strategy is important all the time, but more important, m critically important in a midterm cycle where democracy's on the line and every single historic indicator runs against you. Today, there was a, a report in the Daily Beast about Rachel Walker's hateful girlfriend abortion that happened way back when. She's got receipts. She's got a whole bunch of information about how he paid for her abortion and not only that, his son has come out with this incredible emotional tape. And just two more things I have to address, and then I'm done with this buffoonery nutjob land. This is atrocious. People on the right are pulling up that I did a campaign event with my dad last year. They're saying, well, you supported them all last year and all this year. You look suspicious. No, no, no. You all have been calling me saying, why aren't you on the campaign trail with your dad? Why aren't you helping him out? This looks weird. You should go help him. And I've said to you calmly, I'm not getting involved. You don't know my family life. I did one event last year when we were told he was going to get ahead of his past and hold himself accountable. None of that happened. Everything's been a lie. So for me to tell you I'm not getting involved and then you also be flooding my DMs and calling me saying, I didn't know all this about your dad. We're going to lose the Senate race. And then when I simply say I'm done with the lies, you go, well, Christian looks suspicious. Excuse me? I haven't told one story about what I experienced with him. I'm just simply saying, don't lie. And then for, for certain political pundits to be pulling up old pictures I posted of my dad, thinking they can police and, and determine what my relationship with my dad was. If you want to pull stuff up, I'll pull stuff up. Don't try me. Don't test my authenticity. All of this has been a lie and you've known it. You've known. So don't you dare. And then to the left who says, well, he did all this to your mom and you were still with him. And you know, that's weird. You know nothing about my life. 
My parents went through a dirty divorce. I went through a lot as a child. And, and you don't know anything. You don't know the ebbs and flows of our relationship. Nobody knows anything. So for everyone making these wild theories and whatever, that, that that's crazy. This is about a bunch of lies. Again, I could, if I had an issue with whatever, I could have ended this table. That's not my intention. My intention is don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy, talk normal, do not lie. Rachel, what's your reaction to that? Do you think it could do to a Republican that would be worse than to uh, steal their ability to lie? Their entire system, <laughs> Eric, Eric will tell you this, for 10 years, it's been about lies, right? So if the moral standard for Herschel Walker's son is that he wants his dad to be honest, right? Fuck, that's good for America, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen because Republican candidates cannot be honest in this current environment. If they are, then they're going to have to say, Donald Trump tried to overthrow the government, staged an entire coup, dragged half the party into it, and then stole all of our classified documents and should be in jail. And you're not going to see Republicans saying that's authentic. And I think that's the authenticity his son is desperate to see. But politically, I just don't think we're going to see it. I was just thinking Democrats would be in trouble if his son was running. <laughs> that kid can give a speech. The Roe Dobbs thing. It was a weapon that was held over everyone's head for so long. And now it's out and it's literally life and death for women. Meanwhile, of course, lots of people have abortions in different circumstances. And there are a lot of guys who've paid for abortions, a lot of rich guys who have paid for a lot of abortions and whatnot. So this is, they, they have opened up this whole discussion where it's not going to go so well. Didn't he commit a cardinal sin? Isn't he now a murderer? Can he not? Isn't this like a to the worst thing you could possibly be as a Republican is, an, is somebody who has received paid for an abortion, right? Yeah. So tell me, what do you expect from Republicans? Because I know they don't care if they're child pedophiles, if they beat their wives, if they're stupid functionally, but maybe... The one thing right, they're willing to sentence me to die for, maybe that one thing, Eric, tell me, what do you think? They used, they used the abortion thing to create single issue voters in evangelical communities and to instruct them. There's only one way you can vote because abortion, because it's killing babies and they've now pulled it all the way out. And of course, real people are going to be harmed, they're going to die. And this is also going to cause havoc in, in our healthcare system and already has started doing so. And of course, a situation like this, where one of their flock is shown to be somebody who pays for abortions, he's not, they were never serious about it. It was all just a hustle to create single issue voters that you could boss around and say, you can never vote for this other political party if you want a relationship with God. It's one of the nastiest, most cynical things that Americans have ever gotten up to. And it's a short list of the nasty. And now it's, it's all going to come out now. The more people we expose as having paid for abortions, the better off we're going to be. It looks like the Biden administration, because they're busy doing everything, they got a plan to try and keep healthcare options open for women, no matter what. Democrats, the Democrats are the only game in town for that. 
And the Republican story on it is not very good. Not only is this horrible retrograde policy, it's they're not sincere about it. And they never have been. I want you to play you a tape from one of the state senators there, Teddy Townsend, who has been openly advocating for people to be monitoring polling booths, vigilante stuff trying to stop them from taking their democratic rights and voting at mailboxes. I have been so pleased to hear of all you vigilantes out there that want to camp out at these drop boxes, right? So do it. Do it. We put the word out today that if you're going to come and be like a mule and, and stuff ballot boxes this time, you're going to get caught. So don't try it. We're going to be out there. We're going to have hidden trail cameras. We're going to have people parked out there watching you, and they're going to follow you to your car and get your license plate. It's going to happen. So don't try it. Don't try it anymore. We need to restore voter confidence, don't we? It's despicable. Obviously, everything she's saying is not illegal. A criminal conspiracy under color of law. It'll take me a second to calculate all the crimes that they're getting onto there. Yeah. That's and she's standing up there and advocating for vigilante approaches to people taking their vote. It's absolutely insane. She's one of these MAGA candidates throughout the country that are threatening the very existence of democracy. Yeah, one of the best reasons I can think of to not be a forecaster or a political analyst anymore <laughs> is this. We're really running into an election cycle where we I think are reasonably minded to expect there's going to be intimidation and violence at the polls that we haven't seen in this country since the 20s, okay? Since the secret ballot was invented. This is going to be very bad. And I wish I could say we could just win. That would be the solution. Obviously, the best option for everyone is for Democrats to hold both chambers. My expectation is if that is to happen, we'll still see some political violence, but we cannot let them... And we can't bow to that threat now, because if we think the fear and the threat of violence is potent and dangerous now, it will become so much more. It's unfortunate. I think that woman just committed federal felonies on camera because they're not allowed to intimidate voters. And she's basically making a public appeal to put people I, in. Oh, yeah, Eric, I go ahead. I figured out what the, uh, what the crime would or what the infraction would be. I think 42 U.S. Code 1985, a.k.a. the Ku Klux Klan Act. So yes. If you have a conspiracy against rights under color of law where you recommend violence and force to keep somebody from a constitutionally guaranteed 1985, the Ku Klux Klan Act. Kelly Townsend is her name. It's in Arizona. John Fozer. Oh, my gosh. We have to talk about Dr. Oz Puppy Killer. Oh, I didn't hear it be a puppy killer. Oh, my gosh. So, that, so Dr. Oz, when he was doing all of his herbal supplement shit, was testing on live puppies, 300 puppies, and tortured them, some of them, to death. And they all died. 300. He killed his firm under his supervision, not directly, killed 300 puppies for his products. For, and it's, it's obviously just starting to come out. So this is one of these stories that have boiled up from like in the indie press. But I would expect you're going to start to see some conversation about that in the mainstream press soon. And that just happened as the political report declared it a toss-up. They downgraded it to toss-up. Yeah. Same moment, basically, the story started to gurgitate out of like progressive media. The regular media will not report stuff like this until it's been vetted 
and verified. And if it doesn't get vetted and verified, then I'd be shocked. I think like the initial reports are pretty credible. Yeah, Dr. Oz, puppy killer. Mm-hmm. Certainly we're getting to, to the end of this campaign. People are putting out all their opposition research. It's going to be a very tight race in the Senate. That's the one we're all watching. And I want to just make a really important point. It won't matter, okay? <laughs> like 90% of Republicans and their independent leaners are going to vote for Dr. Oz. The only question is, will Democrats be able to match their coalitional turnout? And can they push the conversion pull to swing voters away from voting for Dr. Oz by attacking him? Now they're focusing on things like crew today and puppy. I would focus on puppy killing because no one likes that. But I think really the case that you want to make, whether it's Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania, Senate, or Georgia or Arizona, is that the Republican Party is a threat to your health, wealth, and safety voter not, hey, they have character flaws, they've killed puppies, whatever. What voters care about is their own impact. And so we really want to make sure we're cueing a loss aversion effect in these people and making them fear change, the kind of change that Republicans would bring. And most voters are saying that economic issues are the number one factor. They are just finding it hard to live and they are looking for ways to reduce those expenses on a regular basis. It seems, however, that they think Republicans, according to Gallup poll, are more able to tackle that particular issue. I can't see why, considering Democrats have had such an incredible run here, especially Biden's Inflation Fighting Act, whatever they called it. That's certainly something that they should be pushing as well. I can't stress enough. Like what The position that Democrats are in is a product of Roe and enhancement of the effect of Roe from strategy. And it has given them an opportunity to compete. They had zero chance of winning either the House or the Senate eight months ago. And so we really want to make sure we don't move the goalpost. And it it is possible that Democrats will flip the Senate, do fine in these big three that will control 24, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and then fail, fall a little short in that house. Because as as that graphic you put up, I want people to understand 218 to control the house. So at 219, (laughs) Republicans would have a house majority. It is a structurally uh, impossible task to win the House majority, but we are going to try really hard because democracy is on the line. I do feel that the condition for the House, for me, like I, I why I'm not going to leave to Canada is because the DOJ has taken up the investigation into Jan 6. It's no longer centered in the House and contingent on that majority. Is it good for America to lose the House majority? Absolutely not. The Republican Party is not they all bills, especially monetary bills, have to originate in the House. And that's why the last time Democrats did comprehensive immigration reform, they got 60 votes, 60 votes in the Senate for it. And then Paul Ryan would not put it on the floor of the House or John Boehner would not put it up for a vote. So that House controls beyond the investigation stuff and the theatrics we can expect is really important to what Biden's capable of doing. But at the end of the day, Can democracy survive with just the Senate and these governorships? The most important thing on the map are the big three, the Midwest, because those are the states that bring you to 270. And we need free, fair elections in those three states and administrators that are going to be free and fair. I think we'll see zero confirmations on the federal bench because McConnell, again, has first mover power on that. That's how he held up the Garland constitutionally. There's an advice and consent process, but it's not defined. And McConnell, as the Senate majority leader, had first mover power. The last time he did that, 
He tanked all the federal appointments, most of the judiciary appointments. That's why they got rid. Democrats are the ones that got rid of the filibuster for the lower courts because they could not confirm any justices for Obama. I expect if Mitch McConnell controls the Senate, other than key, like critical security cabinet positions that might come up, they're not going to be doing a lot for Biden. Thanks, Rachel. I didn't get credit for that uh, blue white prediction, but I miss not having you in Canada. It was uh, great to have the band back together, boys. Yeah, it really was. Thanks, Rachel. Every minute of narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.